as the offering is passed, uh, Heather's going to get ready to read the scripture for us. I'll just say a quick word. This is different with this kind of runway here, right? So uh, I had the opportunity to go and visit uh, one of our other Bethany churches last week, Ballard, and my friend Brad preaches from the floor and gives musicians and worship leaders the freedom of the entire stage. So I thought, that sounds nice. So we're going to try this this week. There's a little bit of a splash zone here, like Shamu, so just, we'll try it, we'll see if it works, and uh, let me know if you find it to be disruptive in any way. But I'm going to invite Heather to share our scripture reading from Isaiah. Thanks. I'm back. Sorry. I could have just kept going. Okay. Our scripture reading today is from Isaiah 35, verses 1 through 10. The wilderness and the dry land shall be glad. The desert shall rejoice and blossom. Like the crocus, it shall blossom abundantly and rejoice with joy in singing. The glory of Lebanon shall be given to it, the majesty of Carmel and Sharon. You shall see the glory of the Lord, the majesty of our God. Strengthen the weak hands. And make firm the feeble knees. Say to those who are of fearful heart, Be strong, do not fear. Here is your God. He will come with vengeance, with terrible recompense. He will come and save you. Then the eyes of the blind shall be opened, and the ears of the deaf unstopped. Then the lame shall leap like a deer, and the tongue of the speechless sing for joy. For waters shall break forth in the wilderness, and streams in the desert. The burning sand shall become a pool, and the thirsty ground springs of water. Sounds like all in all, all abundant, like we were talking about earlier. The haunt of jackals shall become a swamp. The grass shall become reeds and rushes. A highway shall be there, and it shall be called the holy way. The unclean shall not travel on it, but it shall be for God's people. No traveler, not even fools, shall go astray. No lion shall be there nor shall any ravenous beast come upon it. They shall not be found there, but the redeemed shall walk there. And the ransomed of the Lord shall return and come to Zion with singing. Everlasting joy shall be upon their heads. They shall obtain joy and gladness, and sorrow and sighing shall flee away. Amen. Do you join me in prayer? Mighty God, what an incredible series of images and really an expression of the reality of the kingdom. This is what's coming, what we read in Isaiah, and the one who brings it is Messiah. Messiah is the one that we celebrate at Christmas, we anticipate his arrival, the birth in the manger, all these maybe familiar images to us. And yet we want to be a people who are not just so accustomed to the familiar, that we miss something extraordinary that you're doing. So would you do an extraordinary work? through these words of the prophet, through the teaching and the reading of Scripture and the way that we're able to take Scripture into our hearts through your Holy Spirit, speak to us now. May the words of my mouth and the things that each of us consider in our hearts be pleasing in your sight, our rock and our redeemer. Amen. So I was uh, up early this morning, as I am on most Sundays, and uh, I was getting ready to leave the house, and so my son, Will, was the only one awake. And uh, he had gone out uh, front to get the paper. We have him trained now. And we get a physical newspaper, which is kind of fun. And so he brings in the newspaper, and he's got it spread out on the breakfast table. He's eating a couple of waffles. And I'm just about to leave. And I say, hey, buddy, have a great day. I'll see you in a couple hours. And he says, yeah, okay, Dad, see you soon. And I leave, but then I come back because I wanted to see this image. And I'm so glad that I did. And if you're a parent, I think you understand where I'm going with this. 
Sometimes we get these little snapshots of something really wonderful. And it's, it could be the simplest, easiest thing in the world for us to see or to miss. And I thank God that I didn't miss it this morning. And all it was is my son looking at his favorite part of the newspaper, which is, of course, the comics. And he's just looking through them. He's eating his waffles, or he's eating his pancakes. And I had this moment where I thought to myself, what a, I mean, what a cool thing that he can just do this every day, that he has the freedom to do this, that we live in this place where we have a warm home and food and all the things that we're grateful for. And the question that came to my mind is, who does this boy become over time? Like, he loves the comics right now at six. Maybe he'll start reading other parts of the newspaper later on. He loves, we love to read the baseball scores together during baseball season. Who's he becoming? What's he being developed to be like? Either through reading the newspaper or whatever he's doing, who's he becoming? That's the premise of Advent. We're becoming something. Jesus is doing something in us and preparing us for his arrival. Through these familiar passages, like the passage about Mary, through the words of the prophet, he is doing something in you and me. And the premise of this sermon series is, who Messiah is reveals who Messiah's people are supposed to be. Who he is is who we are supposed to be. He changes us. It's about who we're becoming. Like I'm standing there right before heading off to work going, who's my son becoming? Who are we becoming? That's the question we're going to consider all throughout this sermon series. We're taking a break from Romans for this season of Advent, and we are preparing for the birth of Christ in just a couple of weeks. And so what we're going to talk about today is how God's strength in particular changes us. So if you have a bulletin, I encourage you to turn to the outline in the back. And we're going to talk about three different becomings that happen through the strength of God. Before we get into that, how's this so far? How's the audio? Everybody okay? Not too echoey? Okay, good. Three things that God's strength does. It's there in your bulletin. Fear becomes indemnity. We're going to talk about the word indemnity. Hurt becomes healing. And then chaos becomes order. First part, fear becomes indemnity. We see this in the text in verses 3 and 4, but first, let's just talk about indemnity. Because if you're like me, you're going to go, dude, I don't even know what that word means. Like, what? Let's talk about that first. Indemnity is in the text. It's in verse 4. It's translated differently in the passage that Heather read for us. I'll read it for us again, and then we'll highlight that. This is Isaiah 35, 3 and 4. Strengthen the weak hands, make firm the feeble knees. Say to those who are of a fearful heart, be strong, do not fear. Here is your God. He will come with vengeance, with terrible recompense. That's the word there. Terrible indemnity. He will come and save you. What does it mean to be indemnified? If you're a lawyer, if you work in insurance, you might know a little, you'll certainly know more about this than I do. To be indemnified means you're provided security against hurt or loss or damage. You are protected. You are covered. You are exempted from an incurred penalty. That's what indemnified means. You are protected and secure and safe under the power of another. That's a great word. That's a great word if you're a Christ follower because it's key to your identity. If you're not yet a Christ follower, it's something to consider. Where the source of our indemnity might try to come from. Where our source of hope and security may be, especially at this time of year. Now, why would the prophet have brought this up in this part of the text? The background of the book of Isaiah is really interesting. The people of Israel, God's chosen people, had had some great years with God, great experiences with him. He had led them through the wilderness. And they still wrestled, because they were human beings, with, is God really good? 
If he's really good to us, why do we keep running into all these other nations that want to take away the promised land from us? If he's really good, why do we keep suffering from war and famine and from all these other things that just continue to happen to them? Can God be trusted? Is he powerful enough to save us? Isn't it nice to know that that's not a modern problem? (laughs) This isn't a modern wondering for us to go like, man, is God good enough to save my marriage? Is he good enough? to help my kid who's battling an addiction. The ancient people wrestled with this, and we wrestle with it too. And what the prophet says to the people, you can picture the prophet like in a nice way, the bullhorn guy, like he is saying it as loud as he possibly can. God is absolutely strong enough. He is absolutely able, and your strength will never be able. Human strength will never be able to rescue us from these things that keep coming up in our lives. So how do we prove this, right? If I'm making this assertion that we are indemnified, that our fear becomes something where there is great strength and protection, where do we see that? We see that clearly in the life of Mary. One of the people who understood this dynamic between fear and protection was the mother of Jesus. And we heard her story in detail when Heather read it for us just a moment ago. So if you want to turn to Luke chapter 1, we'll kind of bounce around in there for just a minute. Isn't this just an amazing story? Like, if you pictured this in real life, if you pictured this happening to someone that you know, you would need to picture, A, a teenager. Most scholars believe that Mary was a teenager at the time that this happened to her. She was in an incredibly vulnerable position, not just because of her age. She was a virgin. She hadn't yet become part of another person's family. She hadn't yet seen that promise of betrothal come to fruition yet. So she was in this weird in-between space where she was still part of her family of origin, her mom and dad, the people that raised her, and she was getting ready to go be a part of another family. But in that in-between time, she was kind of between those two worlds. She was in a very fragile, vulnerable position. She's from a backwater town, right? She comes from Nazareth, which is where one of the famous Bible jokes comes from. Can anything good come from Nazareth? So insert the name of the fa- your favorite piddling little town that you like to make fun of, because we all have those towns. She didn't come from money or power or influence. She was in that in-between space. She was vulnerable, but the text doesn't talk about her as being afraid. The text doesn't talk about her as someone who is sort of trapped in the prison of her fears. Instead, she's someone who embraces this identity from the moment the angel speaks to her as someone who is favored and cared for and safe, not because of anything she has done, but everything that Messiah has done for her. This is living out the fulfillment of verse 4, which we talked about just a moment ago in Isaiah. Here is your God. He will come. He will indemnify you. He will save you. What is all that about? That's grace. That's a picture of God's incredible protecting, saving activity, giving this vulnerable person confidence that she otherwise might not have had. What is this passage all about, Bethany? It's all about grace. Can you say that with me? Grace. If you learn nothing else this morning, learn that Mary did nothing to deserve the protection of God. Nothing. To, well, to be any sort of deserving or earned person, yet she is safe. Why? She's safe because she has a mission. God's grace, God giving this gift to her of, you're going to have a son, he will be called the Most High, his name will be Emmanuel, this undeserved favor from God, it isn't just for her to be able to brag about something at cocktail parties. This isn't just a line on her resume. There is a purpose to God's activity in her life and in mine and in yours. If you have received grace, you have a mission. 
You have something that God is calling you to do. And if that's true, if you have a mission from God, whether it's to serve him in the workplace, to be a software engineer who follows Christ faithfully, to be a parent raising your children in the ways of the Lord, whatever your particular mission is right now, did you know, did you hear this in the text? There is a promise for you that if God has called you to it, his strength will not bring you to failure. There will be times of struggle. There will be times like the Israelites experience where you're going, is God here? Is he good? Is he trustworthy? I don't know. But if he has given you a mission to do, doesn't it make sense that he would never want that mission to fail? And therefore, he will not lead you into a place of inescapable failure or of purposeless suffering. As strong as we may think we are, the way that we are strong in pursuing the mission God has for us is by relying on his strength. Grace invites Mary into this mission, and now that grace is her foundation, her protection for the purposes of Christ and his kingdom. This text is all about the strength of God. It is not about the strength of people. Look at the bottom of Luke chapter 1, or the bottom of my page of Luke chapter 1, Luke 137. Listen to this. For nothing will be impossible with God. Can you say that with me? For nothing will be impossible with God. Everything, therefore, is possible with him. What if... A group of people living in a tech-savvy, educated, affluent part of the world said, nothing is impossible, not because of my job or my paycheck or my car or my kid's school. What if nothing is impossible because of Almighty God giving me his grace? What if we believed that, not just for ourselves? What if we enacted that for our neighbors? What if we said, this problem of kids being hungry and going to school hungry on the weekends, it's an impossible problem, but we're going to try to do something about it. And that's what we've done here at Bethany Eastside since, since we started, is by being generous through the Lake Washington Schools Foundation to bless kids with food so they go home on the weekends and they're going to be okay. That's what we're doing with those Christmas giving trees right over there. On your way out, grab one of those gift tags, partner with us in blessing kids who are newly arriving in foster families, who are newly arriving in this country. Go pick one up. Go provide for a need. Because in this way, it may seem small, but it is a step to enacting this incredible promise. That what might be impossible with God, a family new to our country actually having an incredible Christmas, even though they don't have a ton of resources, what if... Every one of us took a step toward that today. We could address some really powerful needs in our community. Mary's identity when we first meet her is so different than at the end of this dialogue with the angel. And yet, don't you think she was tempted to give up, to say, there's no way. I I, I don't have any power. I'm nobody. I'm from nowhere. If you've ever felt like that, this story is for you. Advent is for you because you can step into something greater. And we don't do this a lot, but I want to give us a time for just a minute to just be silent. You don't, you're not going to have to listen to me talk for a sec. So everyone just rejoice and say hallelujah. There is a great strength in just listening for the Spirit. So the question I want to have us listen to for just a few moments is this. Have you felt something happen to you or someone you love recently and you just felt vulnerable? Like Mary, you felt exposed. Have you had that happen to you? Or when you have had that happen to you, what did you do? How did you respond when you were vulnerable, when you thought, I can't do this and everybody knows it? And as you reflect on that, maybe ask God this question, God, how could you use this vulnerability? How could you use the fact that I'm a nobody from a nowhere part of town and make it about your good and your glory? 
How can you use me like you use Mary? Let's be silent and just reflect on that for a moment. So part one, God makes Mary strong through these incredible promises. She's indemnified. Now we're going to talk about how hurt can become healing. This is verses five through seven of the Isaiah passage. So flip back and forth, back to Isaiah, back to Luke, blah, blah, blah. Isaiah chapter 35, starting in verse five. Then the eyes of the blind will be opened, the ears of the deaf unstopped. The lame shall leap like a deer and the tongue of the speechless sing for joy. For waters shall break forth in the wilderness and streams in the desert. The burning sand shall become a pool and the thirsty ground springs of water. The haunt of jackals shall become a swamp. And the grass shall become reeds and rushes. What's happening here? The prophet's describing what life will be like when Messiah is in charge. When Messiah is fully there and fully present, there will be no need, there will be renewal, there will be new life. The land will reflect the reality of the king. And these series of images and concepts that you see up here on the screen behind me, they reflect this pattern that's our theme, hurt to healing. How do we see that in the text? Starting in verse 5, the eyes of the blind will be opened, the ears of the deaf unstopped. Okay, that's great. Simple fix, right? You've lost your sight, you've lost your hearing, it'll be restored. You'll be able to see again, you'll be able to hear again. But that's not even close to how good it's going to be in the kingdom. When Messiah brings his healing, it keeps going. The lame shall leap like a deer. Now, if it was following the pattern of those first two statements, the lame would simply be able to walk again. If you weren't able to use your legs, you'd be able to take a stroll. You'd be able to walk through downtown Kirkland and enjoy a nice afternoon. That's how it would be if it was just following that pattern. But there's more. The lame will leap like a deer. That means that that part of you that is broken, that is struggling, you're not just meant to get back to 100%. God's desire is to bring people, to bring these broken places in our lives to a healing that is beyond that. And it may not be, maybe you're thinking like, okay, buddy, I prayed for somebody and that healing didn't come, or I hoped for years and years and years that this person would have eyes to see and they never saw it. Great, that's, that's true, that does happen. We're not just talking about full healing here in the physical sense. We're talking about people whose lives are bigger and fuller and more filled with joy than they ever could have imagined. The lame will leap like a deer. Here it goes again. It's bigger and better. It keeps going. The tongue of the speechless will sing for joy. The normal way to bring that healing would be, hey, you're just able to talk. The tongue of the speechless is now able to talk. No, it's better. You sing for joy. Did you guys hear that when we were singing, oh, come, let us adore him? You were singing for joy. I could hear it. It made the hair on the back of my neck stand up. That is what we do when we gather and worship together. We sing for joy. You may feel all week long like you're speechless, like you can't talk about Jesus at your work. You can't talk about him with your roommates. You want to be able to pray to him, but prayer is not working for you right now. But you can come and you can sing. And I love that our kids get to sing with us for the beginning of our worship together. That is just such a gift. When I hear you sing on Sundays, Bethany, I hear your joy. You are singing for joy. Here's the point. Who Messiah is shapes who we are becoming, and we are becoming more than even we could ask or imagine or dream of. 
This is always what God does when he gets into our lives, when he starts tilling that soil, turning things over for us. It's always more than we could have imagined. We have our little dreams. We have our little visions. They're kind of piddling and tiny. He has this bigger thing in his kingdom that is so much grander than even the grandest vision we could come up with. When I was a pastor in Colorado, the church that I served was deeply involved in our community. We were not putting our banner over things or naming stuff after ourselves. We were just trying to support ministry that was doing good work in this medium-sized city. And one of the things we learned as we started to talk to partners in the community was there was no shelter for homeless teenagers in our city. We had adult shelters. We had shelters for women, for children. The winters there would get pretty rough, so these were important places. But we didn't have anything specifically serving the needs of teenagers. And as we did more research, we learned there were no shelters for homeless teenagers from Denver, Colorado to Salt Lake City, Utah. Nothing. There were no shelters for kids. And those are extreme weather environments. Those are places where lots of people are lost every year to the cold. And so we were located kind of halfway in between those two cities. And we said, this needs to change. Homeless teenagers should not have no options. They should have something. And so working with a great nonprofit and a bunch of other churches, we were able to round up some money. We were able to round up some hearty hands and feet. And we helped purchase a home. And the home was just called The House. And if you want to look it up, just Google The House, Grand Junction, Colorado. And what was created was a home that had been foreclosed upon, kind of abandoned. And we came in there along with a bunch of other teams of people, and we helped rebuild this home. We helped set it up so that it would be appropriate for kids to live in there in a group setting. We made it so that there were 13 beds for kids who didn't have a bed. We made it so that kids who were couch surfing and going from friend to friend and not really having any place to go once school got out on Friday, that they had a place to come where they could receive services, they could have a healthy meal, they had adult counselors and mentors there praying for them, talking to them about life skills, about the gospel. That was a place where hurt became healing in our little town. And we went back to visit back in uh, the spring of this year. And I was amazed to see this. This is the bigger and better thing. This is the hurt becomes healing theme. There are now three houses in this community. We went from one to three. Why? Not because of people. No, not because people. People, we just mess it up. This is God saying, there is a need. And you are called people of the church, people who follow Jesus Christ, to make abundantly more than you can ask or imagine, than we can even dream of, available to the hurting and vulnerable in our community. Friends, what are the hurts in our community? I'm not saying God's dreaming for us to build a house, but what if he's dreaming for us to find that specific kind of need that we were able to locate in that community and say, this cannot be, this must change. And God's people are going to get behind that change and just make it happen. We're not going to make it about us. We're going to make it about caring for those people in need. What are our needs? What are our needs on the east side? We have people who are experiencing hunger, experiencing homelessness. We have people experiencing deep loneliness. What are our needs? And how could God be planting those dreams in us? Maybe they're dreams for a classmate of one of your kids. Maybe it's for one of your coworkers. And again, you want to take a step toward this? Add this to your prayer list. God, what needs would you be calling me to address in the scope of influence that I have? Pick up a Christmas giving tag. Find a way just to bring a little bit of healing during this season. So we've learned God's strength leads us to great courage and confidence. That's what Mary experienced. 
This is part of the hurt to healing, the bigger and better that God wants to do. Now we need to talk about this final section where we talk about chaos becoming order. And so we're going to look at verse 1 and then verses 8 through 10 of Isaiah 35. Here's how it goes. The wilderness and the dry land shall be glad. The desert shall rejoice and blossom. Remember that word wilderness. It'll come up again. Then in verse 8, a highway shall be there. We went from wilderness to highway. A highway shall be there, and it shall be called the holy way. The unclean shall not travel on it, but it shall be for God's people. No traveler, not even fools, will go astray. No lion shall be there, nor shall any ravenous beast come upon it. They shall not be found there, but the redeemed shall walk there. And the ransomed of the Lord shall return and come to Zion with singing. Everlasting joy will be upon their heads, and they shall obtain joy and gladness, and sorrow and sighing shall flee away. In verse 1, that word, that word wilderness would have sent up some big red flags among the people of Israel. The wilderness, unlike for us, who many love to go hiking and conquer said wilderness, the wilderness was a place of despair and frustration and pain. And isolation for the people of God. Remember, David spent many years in the wilderness running from Saul. This was not a place that people went to voluntarily. The wilderness was the place of exile for the nation of Israel. It was a fierce and deadly place, a place to be avoided. But something has happened in this text. In verse 1, we're in the wilderness still. The people of God are here. Then somehow in verse 8, Messiah has arrived and look what has happened. Listen to how the message translation puts it. There will be a highway called the Holy Road. No one rude or rebellious is permitted on this road. It is for God's people exclusively. There will be nothing and no one dangerous or threatening on this road. Only the redeemed will walk on it. What happened to the wilderness? What happened to the chaos? It has become ordered. At the very least, the wilderness now finds itself with this pathway through it. And that is hope. For the people of God. That is hope from the earliest days of creation. This is Genesis 1, y'all. Chaos becomes order. The Spirit of the Lord was hovering over the waters at creation. And what happened next? He brought chaos out of order. He brought light and dark to separate the dark. He brought dry land up. He brought chaos out of order. That is from the first day of creation, the first act of creation. And it is something that God continues to create for his people. Each day of creation, Bethany, brings a little bit more order and a little less chaos. And some of you are thinking, you do not know my life, buddy. I got nothing but chaos right now. I can't get my calendar straight. All the stuff that's on Slack, I don't even know what my colleagues are talking about. Chaos and order is not happening for me. Go back to the story of Mary. Don't you think that the arrival of an angel in her life took everything she had planned for that day and just turned it upside down and shook it out. Put yourself in her shoes. You're planning a wedding. You're getting ready to move. You're dreaming about your new life. And then, boom, here comes this heavenly creature telling you about a pregnancy, telling you about a plan, a king, a messiah. Mary experienced some chaotic moments. The text in Luke 129 says she was perplexed and pondered these things in her heart. Yeah, I think she would need to do that. But chaos becomes order. And I don't want you to miss this. Here's the idea. Chaos becomes order through the truth. 
Chaos becomes order when we hear the truth. What's the truth that Mary hears? It's in Luke 1. Let's go back to Luke 1. Listen to verses 30 through 33. This is the angel speaking to her. Do not be afraid, Mary, for you have found favor with God. That's the truth. And now you will conceive in your womb and bear a son, and you will name him Jesus. He will be great and will be called the Son of the Most High. And the Lord God will give, him, give to him the throne of his ancestor David. He will reign over the house of Jacob forever. And of his kingdom there will be no end. Truth, truth, truth. Not from anything that Mary has done. Not from anything that you and I have done. But because from the foundation of the world... God said, this will be my plan. This will be the king. This will be Messiah. And the people who receive him, oh man, it's going to be good. It's going to be so good because you will know the truth and the truth will what, church? Set you free. Listen to how verse 10 puts this in Isaiah. The ransom, the indemnified, remember? The ransomed of the Lord shall return. Those who've already been covered by his grace, they will return, they will come to Zion with singing, singing for joy. Everlasting joy shall be upon their heads. They shall obtain joy and gladness, and sorrow and sighing will flee away. That's what the truth brings. So you memorized a few scripture verses. You study your Bible. You dig into it. You read things and you go, oh, I really need to hear that this week, Lord. Thank you. You take just a minute and you pause and like I have to do sometimes, you're standing at the sink and you still got the toothbrush in your mouth and you're going, I really needed to think about that today, God. Thank you. Whatever it may be. For me this week, and we talked about this at our men's breakfast on Thursday, not my will but yours be done. That's a truth that I just needed to remember throughout my week. This is what Jesus said when he was at the garden. Not a happy place for him and yet it was a place of surrender. And this was just a week when I needed to surrender. Not my will, but yours be done. What is a simple sentence or phrase that you are thinking of or that you could ask the Lord to put into your heart and mind this week? And when it's time to recite the truth and remember the truth, as Jesus did when he was tempted, as he did in every moment of crisis, he recited the truth. What is the truth that you need to recite this week? What is something that you can remind yourself of? Maybe it's something that Mary hears. Do not be afraid. Do not be afraid, Ted. Do not be afraid, Gary. Do not be afraid, Garrett. What if it's that? What if it's that for you this week? That's one very practical step. Remind yourself of the truth. Second practical step. Look for courage through your fears. Mary, when the angel comes to talk to her, don't you think she experienced all the physical things that we all experience when we are afraid? Your stomach gets tight. Your adrenaline kicks up a notch, your heart rate goes up, your breathing goes faster, your pupils tighten. All those things, I'm sure, happen to her. But avoiding that is not her pathway into what God wants. Her pathway is the highway through the wilderness, the straight shot that God has made. Look for courage through your fears. Pause the next time you're afraid. The next time you're facing something, it just seems insurmountable. How am I going to get through this? Pause and ask yourself, what's really happening here? What am I really scared of? What am I really concerned about? I've shared with you guys before that one of my deep, dark fears is what people think of me, approval. You want to build your house on a foundation of sand? Follow me right there. I've got the path. But I'm learning to stop myself in my fears and go, oh, that's what's happening right now. 
I'm afraid of the other side of this, and this person won't like me. Thank you, God, for reminding me of that. Help me not do that. (laughs) It's as simple as that. It's a begging, like, oh, please, just make this right. I can't make this right. What could you be experiencing and hearing through your fears? Not turning away from them, but going straight through them, like that highway, and asking God to reveal a truth about you, a truth about your character through that. Another way to step into this reality, this fear becomes indemnity, hurt becomes healing, chaos becomes order, is just through community. Find people to link arms with. Find someone to be praying with. Find a place of connection. Guys, come and be a part of our men's breakfast. You'll have Chick-fil-A. It's the best way to start your day. Finally, consider ways, like Heather mentioned earlier, to live in a posture of service, and a posture of generosity during the Advent season. The trees are one way to do that. These gift tags are one way to do that. There are countless opportunities in your companies and in your neighborhoods and in your schools to just be generous. And why do we care about being generous? Because generosity frees us from selfishness. So take a step toward being free from selfishness. In the message translation of verses 3 and 4 of the text of Isaiah, it simply says this phrase, God is here. Messiah has come to announce that God is here. That, to me, sounds like what Mary might have been thinking when the angel spoke to her. Oh, wow, God is here. I wasn't expecting this. I was just going about my day. But here he is. He is with us. Friends, he is here with us now as we come to the table, as we get ready to worship him through communion. He is here, and he needs us, he wants us, to look at our neighbors and to look at our places of business, to look at our world and go, that is a place where I would guess people are wondering if God is here. And what are those places that we can offer to him? I would invite you to consider that as we come forward now to the communion table. I'm going to invite the band to come join me up here on stage. And the folks who are serving communion, I invite you to come forward. When we come to the communion table, we're proclaiming God is here. Our prayer team, who are here every Sunday after worship, they are here to remind all of us, God is here. Whatever you are facing, whatever suffering and fear and pain you are in, he is here. And as we come forward in just a moment to receive bread and juice, maybe that's just something for us to dwell in as we prepare our hearts. God is here. So would you join me now as we pray and get ready for this time at the table? Gracious God, thank you for your word from the prophet. Thank you for your freedom that comes through Christ. As we come to this table, which has been ordered by your hand, we want to come humbly and expecting just your grace to fill us, and we so need that. So minister to our hearts through this time. We pray in the name of Christ. Amen. Friends, we come to the table because Jesus welcomed sinners. He welcomed a ragtag group of disciples into his presence and said to them, God is here. And he is Messiah. He is the servant. So when you come to this table, you are reflecting that and remembering that, reminding yourself of that truth. On the night that Jesus was betrayed, the night that he prayed, God, not my will, but yours be done, he broke bread and he offered it to his friends as a servant. And he said, this is my body, broken for you. Take and eat. Do this and remember me. In the same manner, after supper, because it was the Passover, they would have shared a cup together, a place of deep and rich meaning. And the Messiah poured out the cup, 
just like a servant would have, and he offered it to his friends, saying, this cup is the new covenant in my blood, shed for the forgiveness of sins. Come, drink. As the Apostle Paul later reminds us, as often as we eat this bread, as we drink from this cup, we proclaim his life and death and resurrection until he comes. So as you come forward now to receive, these women and men are here to serve you bread. If you have concerns about allergies, we have gluten-free elements. Those are in the smaller baskets. Come forward, receive the bread. Whenever you're ready to, please take the bread. And then we would ask that as you receive the cup, you would take it back to your seats with you and just hold on to it for a moment. And we will drink the cup together. These are the gifts of God for the beloved people of God. God is here. Let us come and worship him. Starting at the back as you are ready, please come down these center aisles and then head back along the sides. Let us worship God.